open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host of Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. We have a tremendous interview today with David Tice. He was founder of Prudent Bear Fund, a background in accounting as a CPA and a CFA, uh, one of our titans on Wall Street. Welcome to the podcast, David. Uh, glad to be here, Trace. Uh, yeah, so you, you sold Prudent Bear like four or five years ago, right? Six years ago, actually, very fortuitously, December of 08. December of 08. Yeah, nice market timing, yeah. like a lot of things that you'd done. Maybe you can tell us a story or two from Wall Street, like what kind of guides your investment philosophy, you know, just dig into a little bit of that, something that might be actionable for our listeners to uh, in the allocation of their own capital. Well, I was always a contrarian thinker and still am and took on Wall Street. Essentially, my first business was called Behind the Numbers, and we wrote investment research, tearing apart financial statements and reading footnotes, looking at cash flow statements, et cetera. And we didn't believe, you know, Wall Street analysts essentially that 99% of most recommendations were buy recommendations. And therefore I got my start on Wall Street taking on Wall Street, I actually testified in front of Congress, uh, talking about the conflicts of interest with Wall Street and, uh, so I was always a contrarian then believed that there was a credit bubble emerging back in 96 to 99. And even though we were way too early, that's when Alan Greenspan made his famous irrational exuberance speech back in uh, late uh, 1996. And we, of course, had the Internet bubble market boom for another four years. But we were a believer in the Austrian School of Economics. The Austrian school essentially said that the magnitude of the, of the decline is proportional to the excesses created during the prior boom and made a lot of money for clients between uh, two, 1998 to 2008, where we were up about 9% a year. Wow. And then kind of a sidetrack, you've also made investments into encryption companies. Yes, I'm right now a the biggest investor in a private company, Encryptix that provides peer-to-peer -peer encryption for emails as well as data at rest. And we're really excited about that company. We feel like it has groundbreaking technology and is going to do, you know, great things and really represents a gold standard for encryption. Uh-oh, gold standard. Back on point. Because uh, before the interview, you talked about wanting to talk a little bit about monetary history and, you know, how that's kind of guided your investment philosophy. Really, I talked about the good track record we had between 98 and 08. And a lot of that was due to our investment in gold stocks. And we were trying to short stocks. We made some money in about four years shorting stocks, but investing in gold stocks in a number of those years made us a ton of money. And 
we believe that gold really represents money. And in fact, Greenspan has come out recently, you know, after his retirement and has admitted that gold represents money. And you look at 4,000 years of monetary history where the currency primarily utilized for global foreign exchange has generally been backed by gold, silver, or some kind of precious metals. It's only since Nixon took us off, you know, convertibility of gold back in uh, the early 70s have we relied completely on fiat money and central bankers, and they say, trust us. And frankly, we'll take 3,960 years over 40, uh, 45 so, you know, we're in this era of quantitative easing, uh, the Fed, the ECB, the Japanese central bank, it's all just control print <laughs> on uh, their, their currency units or whatever we call their currency units. I was at a dinner uh, just recently, and we're actually going to play a clip from Paul Volcker, uh, where Paul Volcker was asked about Bitcoin. I don't understand Bitcoin. <laughs> I don't understand Bitcoin, therefore I don't have an opinion on it. So, you know, at least Paul Volcker took a pretty uh, wise stance. How about you? You know, you, you seem to be curious about Bitcoin. Like, why in the world would someone of your stature and magnitude uh, in the finance space even want to look at this extremely contrarian new technology that's come out? I mentioned I'm a contrarian. And right now, the financial system is all based on trust. And we are dependent upon intermediaries. We have quadrillions of money in derivatives today. We have a system of accounting. And we essentially have fiat money around the world. And we have a fractional reserve banking system where essentially depositors from banks are a creditor of the bank. Therefore, we are at great risk for trust. and An unsecured creditor. An unsecured creditor, exactly. And therefore, people are looking for other means by which they can secure transactions. And Bitcoin, again, I know not a lot about it. I'm lucky enough to be talking to one of the great experts in the field today, Trace. I mean, it's amazing what you've accomplished but there is a lot to be said for the blockchain and what can be done with Bitcoins. And we're still in the early stage, but there are hundreds of millions of dollars that are being deployed, you know, building out the technology and the infrastructure for this. And it's certainly something that's got to be looked at. In fact, it could take off. Is that really where the big, big investment gains are to be had as a contrarian? You find something that a lot of people dismiss or even laugh at, and yet that's where the opportunity's at. Exactly. I learned from an early age that if you like something that everyone else likes, you're not going to make a lot of money. You have to develop a differential opinion, you know, different from the crowd, and then, of course, be right. I've developed a lot of differential opinions that were different from the crowd, and I was wrong. But, you know, (laughs) it's those differential opinions that you assess more correctly than the crowd, and you're right, then that's where you can make a lot of money. You also need to look at what the magnitude of the gain might be if you are right relative to the probability 
that you might be right relative to the probability of being wrong. In other words, if you think there's a 40% chance that you're going to be right, and therefore even a 60% chance you're going to be wrong, yet if there is a 10 to 1 gain in value, you know, if you are right on your 40% probability on an expected value basis, you should make that trade every day. Now, a lot of people don't get that. And a lot of people think, oh, there's this 60% chance I'm going to be wrong. There's too much risk here. I'm never going to make that bet. However, if you're a true, rational, logical person, you should make that bet every time, even though you feel like there's 60% chance I'm going to lose because that 10 to 1 return. You know, Gil Luria, uh, analyst at Wedbush, he put out a report about trying to figure out the price of Bitcoin. And he basically did the same thing, you know, a discounted future value on a million dollars per Bitcoin and just a very small percentage change in the perception of uh, whether that could happen could have just huge swings in the current price, you know, $200, $400, $1,000, pretty much immaterial to a potential million dollar per Bitcoin price. Also, looking at monetary history, you know, Warren Buffett talks about gold, just a useless hunk of metal. We dig it up, we bury it, we guard it. You know, it has no cash flows. You spent your career digging through accounting statements, footnotes, trying to assess how much these uh, stocks should be worth. How in the world are we supposed to value gold, let alone valuing some magic internet money? How are we supposed to figure out what this potential could be on this play? It's obviously a crapshoot. We have trillions of dollars of GDP in the global economy. We are utilizing some unit of exchange to make all these transactions. You know, right now we're doing it with paper money. I believe that trust in paper money is going to evaporate. You know, that's why I've been a big believer in gold and silver. You can make the argument that, you know, one way that politicians through thousands of years of history have essentially overpromised their constituents. And then what they do is they debase the currency. An advantage to Bitcoin is that you know what the quantity of that currency is. We know that the market capitalization of all the Bitcoins, you know, that exist today at the current price is about $4 billion. So therefore it's a relatively low number. And therefore if Bitcoin is embraced in the future relative to M3 and monetary base and global GDP. If it picks up any percentage of it all, you know, then that market capitalization is going to grow. Yeah. I mean, I, I know we have just some common friends who have net worths of $4 billion. I right. mean, Bitcoin is absolutely tiny yeah. uh, in the grand scheme of things. I mean, when, when we're looking at some of these numbers too, there's 14 million Bitcoins currently in circulation. There's 21 million Bitcoins that'll be in total. Uh, we don't actually know how many ounces of gold there are in total. Uh, it's not fixed and known in advance like Bitcoin is. We still have to dig it up and whatnot. The actual saleable Bitcoins, we've got probably three to five million Bitcoins that have been completely lost. Uh, so that's, you know, Say we've got 10 million Bitcoins where people still have control of private keys. Uh, a good chunk of those are uh, have to be maintained as working capital in businesses with BitPay or, or 
other businesses. So, and then others are in very strong private hands. So we're looking at maybe uh, three to four million saleable bitcoins at any one particular point in time. There's probably only a few hundred thousand on the exchanges that are in the order book. If we were to move any significant amount of capital from our traditional assets out there, real estate, stocks, bonds, uh, whatnot, into Bitcoin, it could just be absolutely explosive. I mean, if 1% of the value in offshore tax haven bank accounts were to be in Bitcoin, that would be $2.8 million per Bitcoin. And yet that's with all of these lost or unsaleable Bitcoins. I mean, where the price could go could be just unbelievable. Do you think that there's any realistic probability that that could happen? I mean, otherwise, shouldn't it be kind of reflected in the price? Price is down from 1200 bucks. It's around 250 now. I mean, there, there's certainly some chance that could exist. Again, I have not studied, you know, Bitcoin uh, in detail. I've been interested at the margin for a while. You know, I'm now an owner of some. I have not been an owner uh, for very long, but I've been interested in it for really, you know, a year and a half. Really, there is there is a lot of hurdles that Bitcoin has got to get over for sure. Yeah, but we there, got technical, regulatory. Yeah. yeah, there are a ton of hurdles. Yeah, there are a ton of hurdles, but we're we're dealing with a system going up against fiat money where I feel as if that's failing. You know, fiat money has failed uh, universally uh, over thousands of years. And therefore, that's why I am a big believer in gold. But there is certainly some probability, I'd say it's probably less than 50%, but, you know, if, if you're talking about $2.8 million dollars, Per Bitcoin, when the price today is at 250, I mean, you, you could argue that if there's a 5% probability that it makes it a good expected value investment. So, given all the embracing that uh, technology companies are making in the space, and the fact that, you know, all the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of man hours are being deployed by some of the smartest mathematicians and scientists into the space. And given that the transactional volume is picking up, et cetera, and there's now Bitcoin ATMs, et cetera. And therefore it has moved a long way just in a few short years. Yeah. I mean, 18 months ago, we had no publicly traded companies accepting Bitcoin. Overstock was the first now we have Microsoft, uh, Rakuten's actually offering a 30% discount uh, in the first week of April for people who pay in Bitcoins. Uh, we're seeing, you know, big major internet companies uh, coming into this space. Uh, Microsoft just got their first money transmission license approved. So they're looking and saying, wow, like we can actually disrupt something else. When you say you're a contrarian, You've been sniffing around Bitcoin, kind of curious about it for a few years, you mentioned. What about your peers? What about these other people in the highest levels of finance? I mean, are they curious about Bitcoin? Do they just laugh and laugh and scoff at it? Or are more of them kind of being like you and, and getting curious and learning about it? I'd say it's mixed. I'd say there's very few people 
you know, that that scoff at it. I mean, one investment friend of mine did, you know, pretty much scoff at a conference about it, but then he recently did a video about it. Uh, Certainly some of my smartest friends are uh, actually proponents of it and they see that it really could work and there could be something there. Uh, the other thing that we haven't talked about that the huge advantage of Bitcoins is just the redu- reduction of friction cost in terms of moving money around the world. I mean, in terms of right now, transaction fees with credit cards, the fact that, you know, Western Union, the charge to move money around, you know, Wire the transfer that, fees, exactly. Bail-ins, bailouts, yeah. or keeping your capital stored in banks. Yes, yeah. huge fees. So, so just the efficiency of being able to move money just seamlessly and you know without uh, much of a fee at all is is very 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 powerful. Yeah, I remember last time uh, we had you on the podcast, I asked like for some advice and you said, well, you know, I like to, I'm neither optimistic nor pessimistic. I like to be realistic, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I thought that was great advice and should be repeated. Uh, to kind of close out the podcast today, you know, do you, do you have kind of a, either a funny story to tell or, or some, some good advice to uh, give the listeners? Let's see. Trace had about 15 minutes preparation for this uh, <laughs> podcast. Uh, I, I would say if, if I was bearish in that last podcast, I've, I was obviously wrong because it was probably two or three years ago and the market's up a lot. And uh, certainly I think there, there's danger in financial markets today. Of course, I've been known for saying that. I think we underestimate the degree to which policymakers will do stupid things in order to preserve the short term to the detriment of the long term. I still believe that's the case. I think that uh, we, we live in a very, very dangerous world. I think that we will, you know, hold on to your money. Don't worry more about return of principle than return on principle. And I would say hold real money, which is gold and silver. And then I would say consider Bitcoin, do some analysis. There's, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of podcasts where you can become educated on the subject and do consider uh, the expected return, looking at uh, what the magnitude of a potential upside return might be relative to the probability. I think that's great advice. You know, you got to you got to study all this out logically, uh, you know, come to some non-emotionally guided decisions on it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much uh, for being with us. Glad to be here, Trace. Keep up the great work. Thanks, David. Be sure to get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at Bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share Bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise, spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. 
Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate.